1: back everybody to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast sitting here for this little outro with Mr. Jacob Myers in studio. How you doing Jacob? Oh doing well listen now yeah just knocked out a Southern Waters podcast which by the way if you're Mm -hmm. not following
0: the Southern Waters Fishing Podcast, I'm to go check that out. But now we're over here doing an outro for this week's episode uh, about Adam and Heath Jolly on the part two episode. Jolly experience. The Jolly experience, I think I <laughs> named it early in the episode. Uh, but on as a guest to talk a little bit about this episode and some specific topics that were discussed uh, is a man who actually I referenced in, I know I probably did in the first episode, I know I did in the second episode as well, mm-hmm. which is Mr. Paul Pater. Paul, how you doing, brother?
2: Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Busy as
0: usual. Yeah, I was gonna say you're you're becoming a little regular here on the podcast now. (laughs) Gotta get you on here for some of these outros and everything, which is fun because I know you're a diehard listener of the show, but also a diehard big buck killer. Um, And you had messaged me last week when the first episode came out, that there was some similarities that things that you had seen them uh, or heard them talk about uh, that you found that was very relative to the areas that you hunt, uh, being both uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania and potentially some of the stuff in, in New York as well. But also the second episode that just came out you kind of blew up our text story, like, man, like, dude, this historical sign, all these different factors, like, dude, spot on. And I'm like, heck, yeah, like, dude, we got to get you on to kind of talk about it. So uh, can you give us a little rundown, like, what is some of these things that you've heard both Adam and Heath talk about that were kind of like, hey, you know, I'm doing the same thing up here where I'm at, and it's been working for me just like it's been working for those guys?
2: Well, you know, it's, oh, the the terrain is very similar, so everything they're doing is is meshing up a lot with the terrain you know so it's it's really good and and i I really like how they're how they they're working in these areas when they're hunting i I find that very you know i'm very similar on the same approach when i do that kind of stuff you know the way that um you know the way they're just kind of working through everything I, i thought that was really cool
0: yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting when you kind of sit back and, like, I've re, I like, I re-listened to the episode after being there and recording it. It's one of those things that, like, when you're in the moment and you're talking to these guys, like, you're kind of keying on things, but you're kind of, like, listening to what they're saying and kind of getting ready for, like, potential like, how do you want to kind of keep working the conversation through? And it's nice mm-hmm. to go back and re-listen to it and kind of sit back as, like, a spectator instead of, like, the interviewer and listen more in even more detail of, like, what they were saying and how they're going about doing these different things styles of hunting and covering ground and being very effective when they're hunting in around these beds but also building that knowledge base and that sign to apply for the following year And that's kind of something i want to get into this they talked a lot about in the second episode about like historical sign and uh-huh. okay yeah we hunt real aggressive but if we screw up on this buck this year and say we bump him twice well we're not going to touch that buck again until next season and if you yep. make if he makes it through we're going to get a good crack at him early on which hopefully it's been at least a year or so since he's, you know, has some pressure on him, And you have another great opportunity to trying to kill that deer. And I know Adam talked yeah. specifically in Heath about a buck in Virginia. They did that with where they went in, bumped the deer a couple times the previous season, went back in the following season, which I think was last year and, and shot that buck coming from that bed uh, on a hunt. And it's just kind of cool how they've been able to do that because I've had a lot of guys ask us and message us since these episodes came out like, man, it sounds great and Danny hunting these, you know, hunting these beds like they're talking about. But I'm worried about bumping that deer and then, you know, he's gone forever. And as they talk about, he's not gone forever. He might be, you know, hard to kill after that. But it's one of those things like, yep. hey, we'll just move on to another deer, chalk it up, and come back to him next year. So, I mean, what, what's your kind of your take on that? Because I know you're huge into historical sign and, and kind of building a, a basis and a, kind of a, a uh, uh, you could call it like a, a folder or a profile on individual bucks in individual, you know, areas.
2: Yeah, I, I basically do the same thing that they're doing with that. Like I, a lot of these deer that I'm hunting, like it takes a couple of years sometimes to get them, you know. So you, you're going to go into these spots and like you put in a lot of work finding a lot of spots and find as many as you can. And you got to you got to work through them. And then you, the first couple of times you do, them, you might not you might not be successful right off the bat. You know, you're going to screw up. And then you're going to have to go back and figure out why you screwed it up and then correct it. And then the following year, that deer is probably going to be in the same area, especially if he's a mature deer. You know, because once they reach over three and a half years old, they kind of stake a claim in their territory. You know, the only time you're not going to see that deer return to the exact same place is if it's a younger deer. Two, two and a half, three and a half, but it's still a really big buck. But he, he could shift a couple miles away just because of his his packing order you know with his age
1: yeah and hey to bring that back on the subject of like leaving those deer until next year this this was a big mountain episode appalachian mountain episode but to bring it all the way back to the the classic of all classics glenn solomon Mm -hmm. episode 116 he said the same thing he does he does the exact same thing because uh, one thing that Glenn was talking about liking to do in those South Georgia swamps, flatland-type country, is go in and find beds, kind of like they were talking about, and go into pine thickets and, uh, and go right into where the deer were. And we asked him sometime in that episode, well, what do you do if you bump them? And he's like, well, it depends on how I bump them. If I just push them out, I'll go in. And then he, he just is a short little reference, but he's like, oh, well, if I bump them real bad, I'll, I'll just save them for next year something like that.
0: Yeah, and come in. Yep. Like, he knows where the bed is. Yep. And if the buck wasn't killed, go back in there and kill that buck. And he had mentioned, like, one of the bucks he'd killed the year previously before we talked to him. Yeah. I think it was, like, the 2018 season um, was... One of those bucks, like, early on in the season, that's how he killed it. He had bumped it the year pre- previous, knew exactly where it was bedded at, had the perfect stand location, went in there, and I think he killed him. It, like, standing up, he couldn't see it in the bed, but when it stood up and started walking around, then he got a shot at it Yeah, got an opportunity. Yep. Uh, and that's a guy from the deep south that's yep. doing the same kind of stuff, which yep. kind of goes back to – we don't see a whole bunch
1: of guys in the deep south talking about hunting beds, mm-hmm. but Glenn was one of those dudes. Yeah, exactly, and and also that kind of hunting style, and just the more people that we talk to, it, it just keeps confirming it for me. If you're going to have that aggressive style, and this is what you want to do, it's it's imperative that you have a, a bunch of deer that you're that you're willing to put a tag on that you can chase. You know, if you've got if you've only got like one deer who uh, who you, you want to put your tag on. It probably uh-huh. isn't the right method for you, just being this aggressive, because then you do run into that problem like, well, man, if this is my, like, one buck that I've got my eye on that I really want to hunt, uh, I, I probably don't need to go in there and, like, blow him out of his bed and do all, do all this super aggressive stuff, because they were, like, they were honest in the episode about it. They are like, yeah, this works, like, one out of ten times or less, but... How but many, when it but when it does. But how many tags do you get in a year? That, he said something along those lines. Yeah. You're like, that's a good point. You yeah. know, if I'm trying to fill one tag and I've got, you know, all these different bucks I can chase, like why not
2: go for it. Yep. So Well, the, the, the more the more you do it, the longer you build up these locations and you sort through them and you're finding better spots and you're scratching off the ones that weren't as good, you know. Over time, you're going to have enough spots that you're going to have more than one big buck to hunt. like it's going to happen like like I, i hunt within an hour driving distance of my house in the mountains you know and any direction i go out the door i got spots where i can hunt 150 inch deer at this point but i've been doing it for 20 years you know so if i like i'll have a dozen bucks that are in the 150 class that i'll be hunting You know, which is five and a half, six and a half year old deer.
0: And it's like, again, kind of comes back to that numbers game. If you're going to be aggressive, you've got to have multiple targets. I mean, that that is a very Mm -hmm. true factor that like you, you can't go out there. I mean, let's say you can't, you could go out there and risk it for the biscuit on one or two bucks and maybe make it happen, maybe not but it really does this style definitely sets up really well for like the public land hunter who has a ton of Mm -hmm. property like even if you had like a couple thousand acres that you had like as a private lease or something if you're in a hunting club i mean unless you had like a very target rich environment with a bunch of deer that were the caliber that you wanted to shoot uh even on a couple thousand acres i could see you know someone hunting super hard super aggressive could uh you definitely you know shake some things up. And again, it's not like the deer are gonna totally. Again, Paul, like you said, like these big mature bucks, they've got their area that they're safe. Mm-hmm. You know, they got to five, six years old, seven years old for a reason. And yeah. they're not totally like picking up and moving house to an area they're not familiar with. They're staying in that area. It's just gonna be a lot harder to kind of pattern them. They're gonna change up whatever they've been doing in that area, betting location and stuff like that. So, you know, that can make it challenging, but you know, it, it is interesting, as they mentioned, actually, Angel, like you said, with like, I think it was Heath talking about like, again, you only have like one tag, two tags, uh, and you know, it works one out of 10 times and I know Adam said specifically, yeah, it works one out of 10 times or even, or even less, but when it does happen, mm-hmm. it is like super, super rewarding. And that's when I made the statement, I'm like, yeah, because you're killing the buck in the area he feels the most comfortable, which is in and around that bed. I yep. mean, he chooses that location because of the safety aspect. Number one, yep. And Big him he, at
1: his own game,
0: yep.
2: You always got to remember too, if you're trying to just kill one deer, that deer could get hit by a car. You know, he could get shot by another hunter. It's public land, so somebody else come in there and stomp right in there. So you got you got to make sure you got to have at least a dozen options. You know, if if not a dozen bucks, at least a dozen spots that you're gonna be able to focus on
0: yeah absolutely you know? it, it it brings up you know just kind of when you're talking about like this aggressive style and like hunting in and around beds i mean these guys uh, i was telling um uh who was it uh josh hilliard last week and might have been off air but might have been on air i can't remember if we were recording or not about the idea of like you hear so many different people like that are quote quote in the hunting industry and they s- explain certain things and you're like is this person like legit on like what they're talking about like are they a- actually doing this or are they you know killing deer a different way um and the one thing about these guys adam and heath they, they carry a camera around especially heath and uh-huh. films all of this and like all their videos are on youtube and plus they gave me a couple of copies of their deep the two dvds they made um and they have like videos showing that them actually doing this and how they set up the whole nine yards which is fascinating But it's cool. Again, you're finding somebody kind of in the southeast that's having success hunting in and around beds early season, whether it's super early in September, early October, and they're hunting actively like over the bed, and they're hunting them on a morning, coming back to that bed late, uh, like when a cold front comes through. Um, or they're hunting in and around that bed on a, uh, you know, specific, you know, um, you know, uh, trail exit trail that makes sense that they think they have a higher odds of success for, cause they bring up the whole point, And Paul, maybe we can talk about this cause you're a big afternoon hunter. And I think it's a lot have to do with like work schedule and everything else that you do. But I know you hunt a ton of the afternoons where these guys hunt a lot in the mornings. Like they would rather uh-huh. have a
2: morning hunt than an afternoon hunt. Well, I hunt, I hunt a lot in the afternoons, but. The viewers can't see it, but you guys can see it on video. That buck above me, I shot in its bed in the morning. I shot him going to his bed. That was opening day of gun season, this buck. This one right there was shot going to a bed. Then I got two down here. Those were both shot going to beds in the morning. So I got four on that wall just on this wall that we're morning deer i try i i I usually wind up hunting afternoons a lot because i'm getting off of work and going in the afternoon too
1: you feel like morning hunts kind of pose more of a advantage when it comes to hitting up those bedding spots
2: i think what they're saying is true like you're gonna have a better advantage to get in there in the morning if you can get in Mm -hmm. if you can get in he, you're there waiting for him you're not trying to sneak in and get close to something that knows you're coming or is expecting you to come you know you know you're already there to ambush them so yeah that's a big advantage especially with a big buck because they set themselves up in places that it's just really hard to set up on in the afternoon. And yeah, that's you really got to dial in to make sure you can get set up in the afternoon.
1: This tactic is so interesting to me because it all, it all makes so much sense in my head. Like when I'm thinking about how you go and do it. But the one thing that I get hung up on and they've obviously found a way to like to to get past this. But I'm all I'm so worried about thermals, falling thermals in the morning is like mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about how they're setting up. I'm like, man, they have to be so fine tuned with how they access and then how they set up where. Like their thermals, unless they're in a weird kind of inversion situation like Adam was talking about, your thermals are going to be, you know, floating down that hill and he's probably coming in from beneath you or side around. So you just got, there's a lot of things that got to go right. So that yeah. those morning thermals are like the biggest question mark in my head where I'm like, man, you got to really like no,
2: put a lot of thought into that. And a lot of the times that deer is going to get you. You know, he's going to get you regardless, but you're going to have to get yourself in a position where you could get an arrow in him before he runs off. You know, that's that's what you're really doing.
0: I think he talks about this in the episode because, Andrew, like what you're saying, when they're going in, they're finding these beds. I know this part in the first episode, I think he says in the second episode as well in more detail. When they're finding these beds, like they're like kind of like Paul, like what you're talking about doing like these hubs where you're circling and you're trying to find any and every trail that kind of comes to this one area. And they're trying to find all those trails that are coming to this individual bed and, and then mm-hmm. figuring out which trails are potentially entrance trails versus which trails are exit trails. And one thing, I can't remember if he said this specifically on air or if this was like after we were done recording, but Heath was talking about the idea of, it is a gamble. Like, you're you're taking which options out of the equation, as in, like, which trails wh- – what are the trail that you're expecting him to come on on, and which trail do you not think he's going to come in on, and you play off that as in your setup mm-hmm. with those falling thermals. Because when he's talking about, like, they're betting on these little secondary ridge points, it's like you have that point, say it juts out to the north, and you have that drainage off the east side and the west side of that uh, that point. So you they have to pick – which side they want that falling thermals to go, you know, down and they want which which side they want to come up on when it comes to the setting up on it. So it is a risk you got to figure it out. But one thing that they talked about to me was like, you can kind of tell based off the point. It's like they're not always coming. It's not like a, a you know, the center of a spoke of a wheel. They're coming from 360 degrees. They're normally coming from a certain uh, direction into that bed because so, it's so limited when it comes to access. Um, and they talk a lot about with the rocks and everything and like the real steepness of the terrain. He can't come in and necessarily J hook. Like they're coming into a straight line uh-huh. to that bed, and you have to use that, those falling thermals to drift away from where you think that deer is coming from and just play it. Like, Paul, we've talked about this before, but, you know, if, and they talk about it in the episode, if they're in a situation where they're in areas with potential green fields or ag or whatever down low on private, well, uh-huh. you kind of know which way the deer is going down to food, and you know he's coming up from there. So you have to use that to your advantage. Like, hey, if this point off the right hand side of this point, you know half a mile down or a mile down is a big ag field well he's probably going to come up that right side of the point so i should be off the left side of the point with my falling thermals dropping off that side it's stuff like that that they're taking into consideration but it also is is a risk and they talk about like uh i know adam said this specifically like he set up on one buck where he went in jumped out of his bed came back in sat there and the buck came back and winded him that morning before daylight it just came back and Thermals weren't mm-hmm. right, and he came in on a trail he wasn't expecting, and got busted, and, and that was the end of that hunt. But um, you know, you, you got to risk it for the biscuit.
2: Yeah. Yep, you're coming in through the back wall. Boom, you know, that's, that's what you're doing. You got to come in. You got to come in where they can't, where they're not going to come through.
0: You, you know, you're breaking that back wall. Yep, <laughs> that, that you're, back-
2: you're you're breaching it. You're coming right through it.
0: Dude, that's the name of the podcast, Andrew. You got to m-
1: remember that. Breaching the Back Wall. Breaching the Back Wall. I love it. Oh, you, you just got Jacob so fired up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like, man, he brought out on term. I've heard it a little while. Actually, well, I was just talking to PK, Paul Middle Kid, a.k.a. Doug White, uh, today, maybe? Yeah, today. Uh... And he was the one that brought up the whole back wall thing. So that's kind of Paul, good yeah. job bringing that up. I kind of, you know, I didn't forget about it, but it hasn't been discussed very <laughs> much was, recently. It was back
1: in the memory file. Yeah, absolutely,
0: absolutely. No, but that, that's that's the whole thing is like, man, like, you know, you're definitely risking it. But that's the cool thing when you talk to guys, Paul, like yourself, and some of these other guys that are hunting more mountain areas that like, once you can kind of understand like the movement of how these deer are going to be moving both from early season to food sources, like especially destination food sources, to like mm-hmm. later in the rut i'm, I'm not going to say it's it's not easy but you can have a really good understanding of deer pattern and movement to really fine tune your setup Versus like in yep. hill, hill country specifically or even flatland where unless there's like a major you know uh some kind of deep drainage like rocky bluff or like deep water like they can go pretty much anywhere versus like in the mountains it's not like they can walk 360 degrees around that point like they have a few different Mm -hmm. options and
2: you can fine tune it from there yep and a lot of times you'll see those big bucks get up on those on those ledges on that steep stuff on the side and the trick you can do to get in there is you could go down the home depot and get a big fat rope and tie a bunch of knots in it and tie it off and you can literally go down the go down the rocky face and use the rope to brace yourself as you're going down so you can get down something really steep or you can get up something really steep and get up into position and i've actually done that several times in some places
0: and that's just kind of getting down to an area where they're you know specifically if you're trying to get down to a spot get down to like a Mm -hmm. little ledge or something that those bucks are kind of cruising on or using as a travel you know travel path
2: Yep. Yeah. Cause there's going to be, you'll have like a, you'll, they'll bet on the top of like a little cliff with another cliff behind them, you know. And then there'll be usually a gap on either end for them to come up and then go into it. And it's really easy to understand how they're going to come into it. Cause once they, once they get in there, they're super safe and they know what to do, you know. But like, you have two entry ways that the deer could go in and out. So if you go in one of those, he'll, he'll he's going to bust you. So you're going to have to go straight in, you know, and I've even I've even found spots. I have one spot I hunt that there's a tree that's like six or it's probably like six feet from the ledge at the bottom. But once you get up to the top, it's almost leaning up, up against the ledge. And I've, I've actually physically put sticks on that tree and climbed up and got up on the ledge like that right. in that one spot.
0: So I've got to ask Andrew, uh, I mean, I, of course you weren't there when we did the interview, but was there anything that you kind of picked up on, especially after, like, listening to the series that was like, yeah, you know, there's a method to their madness and like, how they're kind of implementing, like, their their style of hunting, but also kind of, like, fine-tuning, like, the success? Because one thing they talk about in this episode is, like, how they learned that style, which was mm. through that buddy who, you know, he said that, you know, you know it was one of their buddies hunting i think it was in ohio said that he had this big buck that he was you know trying to pattern i think it was like a big 10 point but every time he went to hunt him he was always in the bed so he's like i'm gonna go be in there by midnight and, and be there before he gets yeah. there he, get, he goes gets in like at 2 a.m whatever and, and kills that buck uh and i know that was like an impactful moment for uh both adam and heath and then they started doing it and you know Adam or Heath talks about the the first hunt that he tried to do it on an absolute massive buck. i think it's a big, huge, huge 12 point like giant deer and i think that was in virginia uh or ohio one of the two states but i mean what's
1: your take on kind of like after hearing you know them talk for over almost like three hour four hours now it, it's kind of funny that how similar what you just said sounds to that guy in georgia who we can't get to come on the show who who you bring up a lot that very similar like couldn't kill the deer and he's like oh, i'm just gonna get in there at freaking midnight and wait for him and he does it and kills the deer like, that's so cool, man. That'd be so fun. But the the steepness that we were just talking about, those bluff gaps and, like, rock walls and just generally steep terrain is interesting because that jumps out to me is finding something in your area that you can use to your advantage, and that's that steep terrain for them, it sounds like. They're, they're purposefully finding beds in areas that don't have... Uh, all these different access points where the the can uh-huh. just come from anywhere, and that gives them the advantage because now you can actually somewhat narrow down where he should come from. Uh, so that was one of the big things that jumped out to me, and and just kind of made me think about the more mountainous areas that we're gonna hunt this fall. Yeah,
2: it's it's amazing what they'll go through. It's amazing what that deer will go through to go in bed. Like I I've seen I have spots around here where they're climbing through boulders, like straight up boulder fields. go back in bed you know and there's just like a little flat spot in a boulder field and that's where he's hiding you know and you you could barely even tell there's a trail in there except for the fact there's buck rubs on a couple little trees and then you go back and you find his bed full of hair
1: that's the kind of thing that gets me fired up about this new place that we're going to hunt this fall is there's places like that so i don't really know much about the deer herd in this area yet i don't know what like the buck quality is going to be like i don't know what the deer density is going to be like but there are areas that are just like a lot more rugged than other areas that are that are mm-hmm. high up rocky super steep that not a lot of people go to even the locals who i talked to who i've hunted to some of them they will walk you into the ground are they won't even go up in there and uh-huh. so i'm like okay first of all what's hiding up in there but second of all Maybe I should seek out those areas because I can use that terrain to my advantage. You know, if I can find some of the some of the more steep, nasty terrain that I can get up and around or I could come up from underneath or I could side hill. Like there's just different ways that I can get into it. But if a buck's actually bedding in there, he's going to get pinched to where he's got to travel in very specific ways. Man, you're gonna get a yep. Paul, you're gonna get Paul fired up to come hunt Alabama. You start talking about spaces that even like the hardcore locals don't want oh, to go to. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I'm talking about. I know some locals in this place that I got the I got the inside scoop on it for sure. But anyways, yeah, Paul. I need to get out and scout. Paul actually, me and him were texting about a place out there, and he dropped all these pins for me on a uh, all this hub looking stuff on this big spine ridge. And so I I, I got to get yeah, a day I, to I go like in that there. Spot. Oh, dude, it looks fantastic. I, I'm just waiting for, till I have, like, a full Saturday to go in there, and I'm going to spend all day, and I'm just going to yep. lawnmower that spot and, and really that, check that, it out.
2: That looks a lot like the terrain that I hunt around here, that one mountain. You know, it's all steep, bluffy, ledgy kind of stuff, you know.
1: And it sets up good, too, because for that kind of morning hunting scenario, the way that you have to get into that spot there's a couple different ways you can get to it but one of the main ways is you can come up the back side of the ridge and go up and over and drop into it uh and so for access i really like that or if you need to you can swing around the base of the mountain and kind of come up beneath them or you could side hill up into them like whatever you got to do so i really like the access for that spot
2: yeah as soon as i saw it i was like there's going to be an old man living up there big old gray deer oh great uh, face uh, start up all right great gray deer he's gonna have six inch bases big heavy mass Just a <laughs> classic classic mountain buck
1: Andrew's are freaking out he's so excited dude, he's like shaking like a child Dude, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna end his tenure this year <laughs> <laughs> hey
0: Paul I want to I want to ask you something because I hear Andrew talk about this but when I listen to like a lot of mountain hunters they say something different and Andrew's already uh-huh. said it twice in the last like five minutes so both Heath and Adam had talked about, and they talked about it a little bit in the episode, I think, but I know they talked to me a lot off air. Is the idea when they're hunting mountains, it's a it's more vertical movement, as in like what they're doing. They're trying to go straight up and over. They don't want a side mm-hmm. hill because side hill and you are crossing more trails and and leaving more sign. Yeah. They going straight the up deer and over side hill. So, so can you is that do you agree with that? Like, if you are hunting mountains, you want mm-hmm. to go straight up and over. You don't want a side hill straight either. up and
2: over. Yeah, because the deer if you if you're when you're climbing up you'll see the the goat paths where they're their side hill and those deer walk right down the side of those hills you'll see it sometimes you get loose soil and you'll see it where it's just chopped right out where they're walking and it's just like it'll be a six inch wide just line going down the side of the hill where they're cutting around it
1: brings up andrew you've already mentioned twice like, oh man just go in their side hill well no that the spot i was just talking about i was just saying it sets up good because you can go straight up and over that hill you could mm-hmm. side hill if you wanted to. i'm just saying you said side hill like, <laughs> last like
0: three minutes four, five minutes away but what, yeah. what i'm saying is just scouting wise, i don't think it's a big deal but for hunting access that's what these guys all these mountain guys are saying it's like and i just talked to another one last night uh that we're gonna do an interview with uh but you know, it's the whole idea of like going up and over when traveling for you mm-hmm. compared to the deer, because yeah, you're crossing the, the paths, you know, you know, that are going horizontal, uh, up, you know, the elevation lines, but going up and over, like you're leaving the least amount of sign, uh, compared like, if you start side and you're dropping all that thermals, you know, especially mm-hmm. if it's falling thermals or rising thermals, you're like, you're covering so much more scent that way than if you just, you know, dissect it. Yep.
2: Yep. And you gotta, you gotta really think about the wind a lot when you're accessing these places, you know, Cause it'll, it'll blow up and like swirl up and wrap around and stuff. And you got to kind of just kind of be conscious of that and be like, okay, today, the way the wind's blowing, I'm gonna have to take the long way in, you know, and you might have to make a big loop to get into a place just so you're, you know, that you're not throwing your wind down in that spot where you want to hunt, you know, just, you're, you might have to do a big loop around it and do something goofy to get in there, to get in clean you know because i when i go and access these places i really don't want anybody knowing where i'm going i don't want any of the deer knowing you know i try to keep it as natural as possible you know and that's what's why it's important to have multiple spots too because you might only figure out that this spot only works with this wind because of the way it just channels through this big bowl or something you know so you might you might be like okay i can't hunt this unless it's blowing this way i'll just i'm never going to clean i'll get busted you know and or or you might realize that i can only hunt this spot in the morning or something because i got to get in before the deer so i don't get winded you know so sometimes sometimes you got to have that planned out that's why when i go in a lot of times i'll go in in the morning and i'll spend the whole day i might not hunt the same spot but i'm kind of working the wind as i'm hunting you know okay now this this spot's gonna be no good pretty soon because the way the wind is gonna start blowing through here. So I'm gonna have to get up and move two, 300 yards over to this side to get in a safe spot where they're not gonna bust me again.
0: Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hens Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls, and it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master Call and Success Call they had. Now... Pay attention to their website, they're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days, so when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spur Master and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club, where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com, use the Promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. One thing that they kind of were talking about was like uh, the rubs and everything. And, uh, you know, some of these areas that, you know, these deer, you know, leaving some of that big sign, which is, you know, playing a factor, but also don't rely on that big sign because a lot of times that sign, again, is like other guys have talked about previously, is laid out in more of the pretty woods. That's where some of the scrapes are at, but the deer might be. A, on the other side of the ridge or the other side of that mountain. Like they may, all the time, and I think an example that in one of the hunts they said was like on the south side of the mountain, it was more gradual, a little more open woods, but there was, you know, a bunch of rubs, there were scrapes, all that kind of Uh stuff. And that's where the does were at. But all of the big bucks were on the north side of the mountain, which was like a super, super steep slope. Uh, yep. Up up against a private parcel that had a bunch of mountain laurel on it. So super yep. steep slope that the bucks were cruising back and forth on, going back to bed, betting on private in a bunch of thick, nasty mountain laurel that wasn't on the south side. And, uh, and that was one of the spots that uh, Heath talked about going in and you know being so cold that he missed that absolute monster buck that he saw in Virginia uh mm-hmm. but again like in three days it saw three nice shooter bucks coming into this one area that they were all using they were all kind of bedding in that same location but if you didn't notice it if you didn't know what you were looking for you would have walked over because there was no like real sign there was no like big rubs or anything on that side of the mountain it was all on the other side and he, yep. he's like man a lot of you guys would get distracted with that and not hunt that really steep slope because the south side looked better even though that's not where the bucks were at during daylight hours
2: yeah, you, you, as soon as you, you look at it, you're like, all right, he's he's probably in here at nighttime. And then you, every time I saw, I find a good sign, I'm like, where is he coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, every time.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that for a little bit. I think that's something interesting is the idea of like, when you see that big sign, don't shock it up as like, especially if it's, well, let me ask you this, Paul. And Angel. I want to ask you the same question from a Southern perspective. But Paul, where you're at, what kind of sign, if you see it in a certain area, like this is probably 95% nighttime sign. Like what? What kind of air does it have to be in? What kind of habitat? What kind of sign does it need to be for you to say it's probably not time sign?
2: Yeah, big a big flat or something like that. Something, something like like you're saying, pretty woods. Like if it looks like everybody else in the world is gonna want to haunt it because it it sets up nice. You're like, oh, I can come in off the trail here and I got good access and I can sit up here and I can watch this big beautiful oak flat and watch the deer move in and stuff. It's probably not gonna work.
1: All right, you know? no, Andrew southern perspective from a th- I mean, pretty much the same thing i mean it for me it's like proximity to a thicket i mean if you find a bunch of rubs and scrapes out in the middle of a big giant hardwood smz i mean right smack in the middle of it then yeah it's mm-hmm. probably nighttime sign but if i find that same sign 150 yards over on the edge of the thicket that might not be nighttime sign you know like the, kind of the stuff that i was scouting this morning was like that where it was it was in you know, some decent-looking woods. I wouldn't call them pretty woods, but they were all right. Yeah. And uh, But they were right there. It was right there on the edge of this thicket, and it was in kind of a skinnier SMZ, so I'm like, okay. That's kind of that's kind of the thing. People use the term pretty woods, and, and I feel like as you start, I don't know, learning more about deer hunting, your my view of pretty woods has changed. So it kind of dictates where that sign is in relation to that thick cover. Yeah. As in potentially whether
0: it's nighttime or daytime sign, Yeah,
1: or just like, I guess, also just in proximity to, to hunting pressure too. I mean... It, it it could be if it's like a, I don't know, uh, like a brand new cutover that's just got like some saplings in it, but it's not real thick yet. And there's like just rubs all in it. That to me also could be nighttime sign. I mean, you'll definitely kill some in places like that in the rut. But for the most part, if it's just wide open and they're not within like 100 yards of cover or really less than that, mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to be nighttime stuff most of the time.
2: It could be heavy cover, but it could also just be rugged as heck. Mm-hmm. Just super rugged. Yeah. Just it's just someplace you're not going to want to walk, you know? 95% of the hunters are going to look at me like, I am not going on that. There's no way I'm walking over there. That
1: plays into where we were talking about hunting this fall in this more big woods type setting. So it's probably a little mm-hmm. bit different out there because there's just not as much thick cover. I mean, there's some mountain laurel thickets and stuff like that, but... Uh, it's not like what we're used to so i mean it might be different out there there might be using more of that visual advantage type stuff so just because we find buck sign on like a nice hardwood ridge doesn't really mean in that setting i don't know i have to hunt this fall but
2: that's i sent you guys some pins to some of those spots i dropped my cameras on Mm -hmm. a couple days ago and that that section that i'm hunting over there i could see two or three hundred yards when the when the leaves come down it's big mature forest. It's big trees. Like it's like like going to like the Star Wars with the giant trees, you know, <laughs> with the Ewok guys or whatever. It's big forest, you know. But there's still big bucks in there. But they they just kind of they they use the terrain and it's really visual when they when they bed in that area, you know. So you it, you're trying to get two three hundred yards from a deer. That's close. You know, it's hard to get closer than that. So that, that actually, I hunt that area a lot in the morning because I can't get close enough to hunt in the evening. So I'll go in there in the morning and I have a lot of morning setups in that area because it's just more advantage to get set up in the morning in that place
0: that's a good point using the cover in darkness to slip in there instead of like in the afternoon where you're just you know in the wide open there's nothing you can really do about it uh paul i wanted to bring up the 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 topic though that you kind of had mentioned before we got on the whole thing about you know nighttime sign versus you know or what is nighttime sign for you and also having andrew kind of talk about that too but it's the idea of like how do you look at backtracking those bucks and you know we had a whole episode with you on like tracks reading tracks and and learning how to follow deer based off the track itself like dry ground tracking as uh we had Uh talked about but when it comes like that sign being laid down especially rubs i think this is something we can really discuss is like well if you're finding rubs in the woods especially like up in the mountains where you're at how do you try to figure out like if you're contemplating hey man there's a couple massive rubs here which way like what's the path of travel how do you look at that from a topographical feature standpoint and maybe where you should kind of backtrack to to potentially find where he's either coming from bed or going back to bed to kind of figure out what side of the ridge or or mountain you need to play on instead of sitting there right you know where that rubs at and and potentially never even see that deer
2: well i i look a lot from where i'm where the rub is i start from there and i kind of look i really look at the terrain around that area you know and i'll kind of get myself a feeling on which way they're walking through a spot you know with the path of least resistance coming in and out or something you know and then from there like i'll work it and i'll I'll pull up my phone at the same time and i'll be looking on my topographical maps you know and i'll be kind of looking at the terrain Uh, you're gonna have to go back and forth because every time it's going to be a little different you know but you're looking for you're looking for those key features with like diversity in the terrain you know what i mean so you're looking for like a like a ledge or something like some kind of little bluff going up like okay there's going to be a gap here between two steep points that's going to be a cut where they're going to run up to the top you know and you figure they're not going to they're not going to trap themselves but they'll they'll, they're going to bed within the proximity of where they can go up and down in elevation you know so you you always got to kind of think when you look at terrains like where can they get a, a visual advantage where, where's the wind going to make it swirl and like where are they going to escape
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know and then usually the, the spots that are the best looking for escaping and survival is probably going to be where the big bucks gonna have more sign so just to kind of uh,
1: expand on that a little bit more what When you say the spots that look good for escaping, what exactly is that escape cover looking like? Just go a little bit deeper on that. I mean, when someone's looking at a map, what makes you be like, okay, they could escape really good right here?
2: In the mountains, you're going to have a lot of those big, big ledges and stuff like that, you know, and those real steep sections. I always look for like a spot where you get like a, a little drainage going down or a finger running out or something. Something that you can hop on and just get out of there. You know, and then they'll they'll be they might be cover a half a mile down in the bottom or something, in a swamp or something like that. You know, but like they they just need to have that quick like where they can they they want that visual where they can see, assess the situation, and make a decision on where they can go next. Paul, I, got a,
0: I got a question when it comes to escape cover and bucks escaping from their beds. Based off, like, your knowledge, uh, what you personally have seen and experienced, in the mountains, if a buck's going to escape, and I guess it also comes from, like, where the cu- where the pressure's coming from, whether, uh, you know, from, you know, side hill, down below him, or up above him, do you see, have you seen any kind of pattern, that like, if a buck's going to, like, escape from a bed, he's going to head... Either up in elevation most of the time, down in elevation, side hill. Have you noticed anything like that? As you know, when they're trying to put distance in between, potentially you or whatever that predator is, and and uh, you know where they were previously at.
2: They're what uh, normally when a deer, if you jump a buck or any deer, what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to jump and they're going to take off and just get away from you first, right? But then what they're going to do is they're going to stop. They're not going to go very far. So if you jump one and you stop, he's that deer is probably going to run out 120, 200 yards and just stand there like a statue, right? And then the next thing that deer is going to do is it's going to start looping around and getting downwind of you if it doesn't hear or it doesn't see you again moving. So, like, if you jump a deer, the best thing you can do is just stop. Don't continue forward. Stop. Wait 15 20 minutes, thirty minutes. Take a break, and then think about how that wind is blowing, and that deer is probably going to cut down wind from where you jumped it. So that's probably the next spot it's going to wind up. Because that's that's a trick we do when we're tracking them in the snow. Because that's what they usually always do. You know, so they're going to jump up, and then they're going to. They're going to try to figure out what the heck's going on. They don't want to just take off and run 10 miles, you know? And then if they feel comfortable, they'll let you go by, you know, if they feel like, Oh, he's not following me. Then they'll just let you go by. And then that deal will turn right, turn around and come right back in to where it was, you know? So it's that when I, when I do that kind of stuff, I usually just do that, but I'm not using snow. I just keep I'll just stop and assess it, wait. Sometimes they'll come right back in. Sometimes, like, you just get, let, let the woods calm down a little bit, you know. Wait, let, let the birds start chirping again around you where, where you jump deer, you know. Let let it come back alive again because those deer are going to alert to all the, the sounds of nature, too, you know. if it, if it As you move through the woods, crickets stop chirping, frogs stop going off like all, all those animals detect you when they get quiet you know and the deer can detect that's going on you know so when i move into these areas i always move slow enough that i can stop and let that come back before i keep moving so i'm not really disturbing anything you know and as long if you don't if you don't tip them off like that you'd be surprised how close you can get to stuff
0: now i've got to, i want to ask both of y'all Andrew here and Paul uh, in this episode, uh, from this, this past or this Monday's episode with, uh, both Adam and Heath, they were talking about in one specific situation that bucks aren't always, we started talking a little bit more about betting and, you know, everybody kind of thinks it's like bucks are betting off these points and Heath or Adam specifically said one of these bucks, like some of them have like this one. Super hot bed that they're using, especially early season up in the mountains that, you know, it's like kind of his bed. He's not really worried about wind so much as in like, you know, with wind changes, he's still going to sit there, but it's more of like a visual bed. First, you'll have some bucks and it's just the characteristics and personality of that buck. He may, you may find a small point that has 10 beds on it all in different Mm -hmm. little spots And you'd think it's doe bedding, Andrew, kind of like what we'd found that one time after we had talked about. Yeah, it's just all
2: different beds from the buck.
0: Absolutely. And he's kind of shifting around in that one spot. And he may be moving a little bit more based off the wind currents, the thermals, the sun, you know, kind of thermal regulation, Paul, which I know you've talked about before. Mm -hmm. Um, All these different kind of factors. So, you know, that area might be another great spot to kind of hunt that buck. But he doesn't have like that super hot defined bed that might kind of Lead you to think that oh maybe it's a you know it was a spot where a bachelor group had bedded here you know a month or two prior previously or where some does are bedded but he said you know one thing they key in on is finding those whip rubs those like velvet rubs and like other rubs mm-hmm. in and around that point that tells you like no nah, it's definitely a buck he's just shifting around that spot which again kind of brings back to what Andrew you and me found on our little scouting trip in one of these big wood settings is like we found an area that was just like that whereas an area that was probably 25 yards you know across in this one spot where there was five or six beds there they were all kind of mm-hmm. positioned differently but they're big old freaking beds they weren't yeah. doe
1: beds they were all like the same size they were all big and they were all about the yep. same size which was kind of cool and
0: like you could tell that at first it was like maybe it's a bachelor group but now thinking about it, it seems like it's probably was one is one buck that you know sometimes you can tell he wants a bed he wants to get up underneath some more cover like like actual like Vertical mm-hmm. cover where there's bushes over his head where he can kind of tuck up underneath it. One of the beds was up against a big blowdown, and then you know a couple of the beds were kind of out a little bit more open uh where he could probably see down off the point a little bit better.
2: Um, yeah. So and then like, you got to also think some of those are satellite beds, mm-hmm. so you're going to get into that spot because if it's a buck bed, it's a buck bedding area. You know, more than one buck is going to use that spot. So if that big buck comes in, he's going to come in and bed in his favorable bed. They feel like he's got the most advantage in the place. But if a a younger buck comes in or something, he's not going to push that deer out of that bed, but he's going to kind of like, well, I'm not leaving. He's like, I'm just going to go over here and just kind of keep my distance from you. And like, he'll, he'll just lay down on the outskirts and like a little like obscure, like you look at it, you'd be like, that's kind of in a dumb spot. You know, it's like, that's not the best bed here it's still being used it's probably just like a younger buck laying in it or something and i i it's funny i'll see that in the mountains sometimes throughout the entire season even during the rut you'll still have bucks in the same spots and like sometimes there's some some deer just don't have the. they're not super aggressive with each other like even during during breeding season they don't get crazy it's like they'll they'll kind of like oh i'm just chilling all right you just stay over there i'll stay over here it'll be cool you know Mm
1: -hmm. yeah that spot that jacob just mentioned is a pretty interesting scenario too because yeah looking back all those beds i mean it's it's probably a buck bedding there and he's bedding he's almost kind of sandwiched in between a a nice pinch point where a lot of deer are funneling around the the point of this ridge because down Mm -hmm. where the point drops off it gets really rough it's it's super steep and there's a lot of dead mountain laurel. And that whole hillside is like a, a super, I mean, it's very, very thick. Um, mm-hmm. And he's kind of between that and a hiking trail that's like back 150, 200 yards behind him further down the ridge. Uh, and then probably 75 yards behind him is a big, nice scrape. Not not a big scrape where like, oh, my gosh, this, this scrape is the size of my car hood or something. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a normal looking scrape. Um, I don't know what is the size, the size of like yeah. a stove top well, that's, or something
2: that's maybe. What, that's the buck scrape. Those are the ones we were talking about in the previous episode.
1: Well, big fat licking branch, twisted yep. up, just destroyed licking branch, and I, I'm putting a camera on that. That's one of the first places I want to put a
2: camera out there, yeah, just because I'm curious. That, that scrape right there, you're probably going to get a half a dozen bucks on.
1: Yeah, boy. <laughs>
2: that's one of those. That's one of those scrapes.
1: I'm going to run up in there probably next Friday or something for work and uh, throw a throw a actually no i won't I'll be out of town mm-hmm. <laughs> one of these days i'm going to get in there and i'm going to throw a camera up on that joker <laughs> yep
0: uh, well paul one other thing that they had brought up was one of the beds that he had talked about you know he kind of they kind of gave different scenarios of like different beds they found but you know one of the beds specifically it was a visual bed but it wasn't off a point it was just on the side of a hill like it was kind of like almost at the base of a point uh, as in uh-huh. like where the point that secondary ridge point meets the main ridge kind of like somewhere right there where they're bedded just on the side of the hill and a little flat like we're in steep real steep faces finding a little flat that he's talking about like the biggest one he may find is like eight feet long but most of them are pretty small like it's just smaller for one buck to lay there but they're bedded with a hundred percent visual advantage and talking about like one of the areas uh that one of these bucks was bedded he was a hundred percent looking down over a parking area that he could see very easily and it was one of those spots where they said they parked farther down the road and then walked in from there and not parked at the main parking access uh, to kind of go in there and get on that deer um so i mean it's it is super interesting again it, it gets me more and more excited about not only i gotta get in some better shape which we're working on right now but uh <laughs> working on it. but getting you know better shape but also f- trying to hunt some of these different areas like this like these different more mountainous areas because it just seems the deer acts so much different there compare like what we've seen in more like that general rolling hill terrain especially that has like an abundant thick cover because going back to this episode Heath talks about one of his favorite spots that he found last year that actually is now burnt because a guy walked in on him after he shot a deer was a laurel thicket that had a drainage like coming out of it that went down the side of the ridge with a cut over on each side of that that laurel thicket and the way he uh-huh. described it i'm like man that's like an awesome compounding feature that just sounds amazing but like he said, you know, some dude actually shot a buck there. Some guy walked in on him and saw where he shot the deer and everything. He's like, more than likely, that guy and his buddies are gonna be back in there hunting this year. So yep. I gotta find oh, I, something new.
2: I know I get followed around up here. I always have people. Oh, Paul's over here, <laughs> and then they'll come and they'll come and walk around where I'm, where I was parked and stuff. Because everybody knows I'm shooting big bucks now. Everybody figured it out. So. <laughs> I am I, like, I literally I'll park like I'll park like a mile down the road and walk the road in the dark and sneak in to get to get in so nobody knows where I'm going. You know, I gotta throw them off a little bit.
0: Yeah, I was going Yeah, I was gonna, we were talking about potentially Vana wrapping my truck for the uh, southern wars podcast yes. <laughs> but if, if i do that i'm gonna definitely have to do that i'm gonna have to park my truck and take an e-bike down the freeway no hiding where jacob's yeah. hunting yeah. anymore
2: so. yeah you gotta have like a little stealth car or something so yeah dude
0: get i gotta get that honda accord dude. yeah get a little beater car
1: well, yeah
0: but uh but anyways paul uh kind of gets a point of wrapping up here did you have any kind of final thoughts you know with the two episodes with adam and heath jolly and uh any kind of final thoughts that's worth us discussing before we kind of get to wrap it up here
2: I think it was a good good episode, or two episodes, and I definitely want to see him back on again, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, we got to get him on to talk about their rut hunting stuff, too, because we haven't uh-huh. ever uh, uh, covered that. No, 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 I'm
0: going to go back there. Hey, Paul, by the way, <laughs> Paul, just, just to remind me, did you, you have family in North Carolina, don't you? Yep. Dude. You yep, know, down. You know what we need to down, do?
2: Uh, somewhere down Dobson.
0: But listen, we need, we need to plan something. You need to go down there and we'll go up there and meet you. And then we'll go, I'll do the podcast in person with those guys and then maybe try to <laughs> do some hunting or something, dude. That that would be the ticket. Um, because I definitely, I mean, no, no, I mean, all said I, I do want to do a podcast that that third podcast in person with them just because they're such good guys. And like, I wish we could film it and we may do that for real. I might take a camera with us next time I go and kind of sit down and film because if you like watch how these guys watch how both Adam and Heath. Kind of like are like breaking down the conversation. You can tell they're very, very analytical the way they think, but they're coming from like a ton of experience. It's not like a lot of mm-hmm. theories that they had; it's stuff they've actually gone out there and implemented and
2: proven, yeah. or v- have had very success. Calculated,
0: very calculated. That's a, that's the way to look at it.
2: That's that's how I. That's why I it clicked when I was like watching it too. I was like, I'm like man, I, I think the same way of these guys. You know, I'm like, and that's that's what you got to do. You got to have that mindset. If you're thinking like that, you're going to kill big bucks every year. Mm-hmm. You know. It's just, you got to have that mindset and you got to, you got to really kind of analyze and figure everything out, you know, cause there's no rules in killing big bucks. You gotta, you just gotta make it work.
0: Also, I'll say this one, one last thing that I just kind of thought about another kind of, um, I guess, similarity between, you know, your style of hunting and, and what they do is all of y'all are very not only aggressive but you're very active as hunters like you're not just going back to the same spot hunting it 10 times or Uh hunting like the same area for a week and a half two weeks straight um you know that's one thing that they talked about a lot especially heath's like man i'm hunting an area maybe twice if i don't make it happen i'm moving on to the next spot the next area the the
2: only time i start doing more repetitive entrances into an area is closer to the rut Mm -hmm. because if that big buck is going to be in there for the rut you could You can't get him. You can't get rid of him. You could try, but you're not. If he's got to be there for the does, he's not going to leave, you know, but he'll, he'll kind of just deal with you, you know, and you could be super aggressive with a big dominant buck in one of those spots if he's an aggressive deer, but that, that all depends on if he's the aggressive buck in the area or not too. Mm -hmm. If it's a subordinate buck, you probably booted that one out. But if you're hunting the big boss in the area, he's probably going to just figure out how to get around you or attempt to.
0: Well, I, I I have to agree, man. It's, um, you know what? Like these episodes definitely get me more and more excited for this, this fall, especially as we'll hear on some upcoming episodes. Angie just joined, uh, a hunting club that he's going to implement along with hunting some public land. That's i mm-hmm. uh, I'll be honest, this club, like I wasn't like, didn't know what it really looked like ahead of time. And then we started looking at it and dude, he it, went toward it with me, man. it He's like, y'all got another
1: spot. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> it
0: is, it's the dream. And we're going to, we're going to do a full episode on it. Cause it, it has now, again, not all like hunting clubs and lease lands like that, but it has changed my perspective a little bit yeah. on like the pressure aspect of like some of the private land. Like, yeah, there's a lot of private lands like super heavy pressured down here but like uh, something not like this one well no well it's got it's got a bunch of members but it's like figuring out like the habitat and paul we're not we don't need to go into detail because we could really we're, run we're about this. to run off the rails yeah, here but <laughs> you're in a club he's in a
1: club with a lot of guys that love hunting greenfields and there's probably i don't know 15 20 15 is greenfield it's not even that many members in the club it's 1800 acres 18 members and i asked the guy i was like well how uh what's the pressure like out here And he's like, oh, there's probably about four of us that hunt it pretty regularly. And it's 1,800 acres. Four guys (laughs) hunt it regularly, and they hunt food plots and power lines. You know, they'll, they'll venture they into the woods. They don't zone. have any
2: sections off limits or anything. Oh, you no. can't go over here. Well, so I asked him, get. I'm
1: like, so y'all like to use climbers? What do y'all like to hunt with? He's like, oh, no, just ladder stands and uh, shooting houses. I'm like, per- in my brain, I'm like, perfect. Oh, dude, I,
0: I was I was, sitting, I was, sitting in the backseat as we're driving to the club with a guy, and I'm dr- like literally salivating and drooling <laughs> at the opportunity at this place because it's like there's so much of like the habitat and the timber out there. And we're going to talk about it in another episode, but like, It sets up so well to like be super aggressive on and and not only have the opportunity for some big deer, but also like you're just, you're hunting deer in places that they're not getting pressured at. And it's like almost like that first time in, like that opportunity uh-huh. to kill a buck without him even knowing you're in the area. I mean, it's yeah, it's unreal. And he also said he's like, yeah, this one side of the club, like we don't really ever go to the roads are really terrible, so nobody really ever goes over there. I'm like, dude, put a circle around that part of the
1: map. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I'm excited, man, because the the club seems to be relatively low pressure, and then the other place that we're gonna be hunting the public land area also seems to be pretty low pressure. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big change. I mean. The, the place that I normally hunt, I'll probably still throw a couple sits at it this year, but pretty much all my hunting is going to be on that club and the new place. And the, both of those are areas where I'm thinking. The new, new place is public land. Yeah. The new place well, is public it's land. It's good
2: to rotate through stuff, you know.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm thinking I, I, I'm going to be on less pressured deer in general in both areas. And so I'm just interested to see how that's going yep. to change, you know, what I'm running into on a daily basis. Well,
2: you also got to think how much pressure you've been putting on those deer over the years too you know (laughs) if if you're hunting it a lot in that one area they're they're already kind of like okay i don't want to even be here anymore this guy (laughs) keeps coming in and trying to shoot me every time i go in here and he knows what he's doing They're i dude, this lunatic
1: keeps coming in here at like 2 (laughs) a.m yeah hey
0: hey that that is something i've actually had i've talked to other guys about this and a lot of people don't understand this and i don't know why or does isn't it isn't like compute in their brain but everybody thinks of like hunting pressure as like the other hunters out there, but you are the hunting pressure too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you hunt super aggressive or yeah. super invasive, but you're the only one on the property, you're still adding a ton of hunting pressure. I had some guy I was talking no. to talking about like they get some, some lease lane and it's just him and another dude in it and i was talking about hunting pressure all oh, this just two of us and i'm like but he's telling me the way they're hunting i'm like you're putting a crap ton of hunting pressure out there Jay. like <laughs> like it doesn't matter that it's only two of you guys it's the way you're hunting too that like you're putting excess pressure on this deer so they're acting totally yeah. different than the way you would expect them to act uh on a place
1: that yeah, supposedly those only deer has to
2: learn from experience you know so any deer that are on that property even young bucks are just going to kind of go okay every year this time of the year if i go over here there's going to be guys Mm -hmm. you know so i'm not going to go over there so you gotta you gotta give it a break for a year or two and hunt something else and then you might find if you go give it a break for a year or two go back in there you're like holy crap there's deer sign everywhere again you know you gotta kind of rotate through stuff you know I'll, i'll go focus on this area the forest one year and then i'll go over here and hunt this one the next year otherwise the big bucks are just going to be like okay i'm going to not go over here this was safe until this guy showed up
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah well paul uh i appreciate you coming on the podcast man it's been fun it's, it's fun to kind of have you on for the, some of these outros which i'm sure we're going to do more of in the future uh especially on specific topics just because it, it's fun to kind of get somebody else on here that's you know, things a little bit different from us They can kind of help break down some of these episodes because, again, you got a, a wealth of knowledge but also hunt in a different kind of area. So it's kind of cool to kind of align, you know, you're experiencing kind of stuff that we're seeing too breaking down these episodes. So, again, appreciate you coming on here. Um, and I'll say this. Definitely we'll have to have you back on uh, on one of these other episodes that can come out later this summer. I think you'll really enjoy. But uh, other than that, guys, I'm pretty much... I think we've covered this topic pretty well. Again, we'll have to get off here and, and actually knock out maybe another outro yeah yeah, I got a couple more things here yeah we got stuff to do but uh, anyways guys appreciate everybody listening to the podcast again Paul appreciate you coming on if you've enjoyed the podcast everybody go leave us a five star review on iTunes we've greatly appreciated a lot of the reviews that's been coming in Uh, we're gonna actually read some of those off for the next week's outro but uh, again appreciate that support everybody y'all's reviews have been awesome finally broke 900 reviews on Apple Podcasts and Mm -hmm. iTunes so thank you so much also huge shout out to some of the listeners who's been suggesting some guests for future episodes. Oh, y'all been knocking uh, uh, it out uh, of the park. A couple of y'all been dropping some legit bangers. And I just got off the phone with one, of the potential guests that we're going to be interviewing tomorrow. Dude's ridiculous. And so like, <laughs> uh, uh, old boy's name, uh, the, the listener's name is Clint and Clint, you know who you are from Arkansas. <laughs> Thank you, brother. (laughs) okay that's all i can say so uh anyways we appreciate that support guys appreciate the feedback if you have any other uh listener uh or or guest suggestions you know from some successful successful hunters in your neck of the woods you can shoot us those suggestions either on facebook uh through our facebook page uh you hit us up on instagram or even better hit us up on our email address which is on our website you can click that in the show notes below check that out uh again appreciate y'all supporting guys we'll catch you back here on the next week's episode of the southern outdoors Y'all stay southern.
1: you guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you. Whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.